Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Rhodes, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And today we look at a wonderful book entitled The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul. And the author, uh, Connie Zweig, PhD, is a retired psychotherapist, a former executive editor at Jeremy P. Tarcher Publicity. Publishing, I should say. Uh, she was a former columnist for Esquire magazine, contributed to the LA Times as well. Known as the Shadow Expert, she's written several books. So it's a joy to welcome Connie Zweig to today's show. Welcome, glad you're with us. Hi, thanks for having me. It's on age and I'm 69 right now, and so right in the demographic that you're you're talking to in this wonderful book. Uh, but of course, it's it's good for anybody at whatever age, but uh, particularly apropos for people, you know, in their 60s and 70s onwards. And uh, also, you know, you talk about stresses that you can have in your life. I, I recently uh, suffered an accident and broke my my upper arm, and I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. Um, so that's a little scary. So, I, you know, I thought we could use that as, a, as an interesting <laughs> opportunity. You say age is an opportunity. Well, I've got opportunity in spades right now, right? Yes, I understand. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope it's not too painful for you. No, it's, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm handling it, you know. I mean, the book is The Inner Work of Age is for people in midlife and beyond. So it's right. not just the oldest population. In fact, I just had a 30-year-old tell me that he read it and now he's going to age differently. So oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a universal opportunity, I think, to reimagine what aging is about in our ageist culture because we all have internalized stereotypes and fears and limitations about growing older. But what's happening now with the new longevity, this this unprecedented, you know, healthy life into people's 80s and 90s and even 100, what's happening is this opportunity to explore in these in these years that we've never had before in in the whole history of humanity. And so to explore our inner world, as well as to contribute to society, our elder wisdom. And so when you say, you know, yes, there are limitations and there are challenges, and there are also possibilities, just like what you're doing with this radio show. And you're talking about aging from the inside out, right? Exploring that inner world, uh as much as reacting to what's happening in the physical or in the outer, right? So um, that is so, so much more important, actually. From a unity perspective, of course, we're very familiar with this, that uh, it's an inside job, right? And the, and the transformation comes from within. I, lo- I love what you call the divine messengers that come to us, because, uh, you know, based on the, partially based on the teachings of the Buddha, right, where, he went out from his palace. He, he was kept from all suffering because his father feared that he would leave the palace and, and become a great sage. 
and uh, which of course he did. Um, and he, but he, he broke out from the palace and, and saw those three signs, right, of old age, sickness, and death. And it sort of woke him up, didn't it? Um, and it, we've all seen old age, sickness, and death, but there's a difference between seeing it externally and internally, right? When we internalize, yes, old age, sickness, and death is part of what I, I am about as well. And, and it, it can be frightening, but it's also illuminating, right? Well, it can be a wake-up call for yeah. how we live our lives. You know, it can pull us into awareness, awareness of the brief time we have here, awareness of our mortality, and, you know, profound spiritual questions. Once we meet those messengers, and I would add to those messengers now, I would add retirement and loss, and, you know, some of the other transitions that so many millions of people are experiencing. And I would ask people to consider, who am I now? Who am I at this age? Who am I with this loss? Who am I if I'm no longer a provider? Who am I? And that spiritual question can lead us in new directions. For some people to really turn within and do deeper soul work. So, you know, the book is about um, all of these transitions, and each chapter offers practices. There are practices for shadow work and practices for spirituality in each chapter. And so how do we turn our attention, like let's say with your arm? So you have this injury now, and how can that wake you up? How can that lead you to turn your attention away from I am the body to something deeper, to your essential spiritual nature? And, of course, you have to face your your fears and concerns to do that, right? Um, you know, it, it's you can't just deny anxiety or concern about your own frailty or mortality, right? That has That's part of it, isn't it? It's... Uh, It's an embrace of all aspects of us. Yes, if we default to denial, you know, which is an automatic response for so many people, um, denial of illness, denial of age, denial of climate change, denial of racism, whatever the issue, if we default to denial, then there's going to be no development, right? No spiritual evolution. It can't happen because we're not going to put our attention then on what needs to be done to develop further. We're not going to slow down. Let's say it's denial of retirement. Then we're not going to slow down and take the time for self-reflection and contemplative practice. And so breaking through denial is really the first step. You put your finger right on it. It's really the first step in the inner work of age. And I would say, you know, in the context of ageism, denial means that we identify with youth. Youth is good and old is bad. And the culture teaches us that, you know, from, from childhood. That's what we learn. That's what we witness everywhere. We don't witness um, inclusion of elders in the educational process or, you know, um, adaptation of the healthcare system to include elders, or um, you know, we're not or or reverence for elders as we see in indigenous traditions. So we internalize ageism, and I call that the inner ageist. And if that figure is in charge, then we're in denial of our age, and we're striving to continue to be midlife heroic doers and buying into the anti-aging messages from cosmetics to movies to, you know, the anti-aging messages are just everywhere. So that's the first denial that we need to break free from. Seems to me there's a knife. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it seems to me there's a knife edge there, you know, because... um, 
you quote uh, the the famous Bob Dylan song, you know, "Forever Young" in in the book. And so many of us, you know, love that song or think that, you know, staying eternally youthful is okay. And I'm not talking about trying to be young when you're old, but youthfulness in the sense of still open, still fascinated with things. Like T.S. Eliot said, old, old, old people should be explorers, right? It's, it's the idea that still, still open to new things, youthful in that sense, right? But not youthful in the sense callow. And, and naive or whatever. So is it possible to be old and young at the same time? I think we all are. I think you know the term inner child. The child in us is alive through every mm-hmm. age of life. Right. Inner elder is also there from the beginning throughout the lifespan. And my, my one of my points is that After midlife, we want to connect with that archetype. The inner elder can be a guide for us in this stage of life. And if we continue to strive to be young, we're not going to make that connection with that transpersonal center or that wisdom center or whatever we call the inner elder. We won't make that connection if we're still striving to be young. Yes. Well, you know, um, people have pointed out that, you know, the word black uh, is often associated with, you know, negative things, darkness or whatnot, whereas the word white is, you know, associated with uh, light and lovely qualities. I think it's similar with age, isn't it, Uh, or with old, the idea of something that's old. Uh, You can't use the word old. It sounds, um, you know, tawdry and, and decrepit or whatever. Uh, and even in unity, in our in our movement, you know, we we uh, we talk about releasing ourselves of old and outworn beliefs, you know, um, and in the sense that they're old and no good. Um, and I know what they're saying in that statement. We're saying, you know, those things that are no longer fresh and va- vital within us need to be released. But but unfortunately, old comes with a lot of baggage, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly right. I think the word old is like a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. And you can, it has a lot of projection onto it of stereotypes and fears and biases, you know, and the actual root, the etymological root of the word old is nourish. So it no longer means what it originally meant. And that's, again, because of our ageist institutions and our lack of respect for being old, for having lived a long life and gathering so much, so many lessons and so much spiritual and emotional experience. You know, let me respond to what you said about releasing past beliefs because I think that's crucially important at this stage of life. Um, I haven't seen anyone really talk in, in, the, in the literature about aging. I couldn't, one of the reasons I wrote the book is I couldn't find anything about our unconscious um, beliefs and fears about age and what I call it or what Carl Jung called the shadow and what I call, you know, I wrote Meeting the Shadow and Romancing the Shadow. And this book, it's actually the fourth one in a series about meeting the shadows of age, encountering those unconscious beliefs and attitudes and images that we carry about age. And a part of it is the unconscious spiritual beliefs. Because as we approach the end of our lives, those spiritual beliefs... um, become pressing, become crucial to us as we begin to allow ourselves to imagine life completion and death, right? I had a client who was Catholic all her life, and she was dying, and she said to me, what if it's all not true? So for the very first time in her whole life, she was allowing herself to feel doubt about her spiritual beliefs. And so I have a chapter about completing unfinished spiritual business. 
what are the, the beliefs and the images that we're carrying around with us in the unconscious shadow? I had another client who was a serious Buddhist practitioner doing a lot of uh, meditation practice. But when we kind of excavated into his deeper beliefs, he had this Pope-like, wrathful figure from his Catholic childhood telling him that he was going to go to hell because of his sexual fantasies. Underneath, underneath all of the Buddhist beliefs that he had adopted, more consciously, there was this unconscious image, and it carried a lot of fear. And so I think that your point about um, redesigning our religious or spiritual beliefs in the context of impending death is really an important practice for later life. I would say it's a practice to become an elder. And a lot of the book is designed that way. It's kind of designed as a rite of passage to walk through a series of practices so that you emerge renewed as an elder. So there's spiritual repair. There's also emotional repair. What's the emotional work that you need to do in this stage of life? And there's also and I like life. That. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. And there's also life review so that we can really digest and integrate and make meaning from what happened in our long lives. What are the patterns? Where is the synchronicity? Where's the betrayal? What do we need to do for repair now? To give and receive forgiveness, maybe, you know, or to do some repair inside of ourselves as we age into the later stages of life. And so there's. Can you talk about. Sorry? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you. Okay, well, I was, uh, just in, re- in relation to that, you know, you talk about the three portals of age, right? And you sort of m- mentioned it earlier, uh, the shadow awareness, uh, pure awareness, and mortality awareness. Interesting. And I think it's so true that, you know, you can have an overlay of a new understanding um, that you you maybe have followed for years and years, um, but a deep underneath that, in the shadow place, you know, are still lurking some some old ways of thinking about something, and and they're quite well hidden, you know. And it's I talk about this in the recent in an article I, article I wrote uh, recently that um, you know it it can be a, a problem for us because um, you know we we uh, espouse a certain way of thinking. But but we may we may not have done the depth work, you know, of of releasing old ways of thinking beneath that, and, and so that can hamper us, especially when we reach something like, um, you know, certainly mortality or, or life threatening things, you know, that then then it comes home again, right? And so it, this this work is essential for us to go deep into ourselves and and uh, find out what our true motivations are. Yes. You know, real change doesn't happen at the conceptual level. Mm-hmm. We, can have, we can have insight. We can have intellectual shift. But that doesn't actually affect the shadow, what is in the unconscious, and what is affecting us from beneath the threshold of awareness. So, you know, the book is written in a way that it's not about, you don't need to believe. It's not about belief. I'm not telling people what to believe. And um, I'm not, because I think that is a trap, you know. That, that is, I mean, organized religion does that, and, and that is a trap. It's more about the direct experience, and you mentioned the three portals. So if we have the direct experience, of transcendence or pure awareness or pure consciousness, whatever we call it, uh, the self, the higher self, the divine within us, whatever name we give it. And what is the name for that in unity? 
I guess the subconscious mind, whatever we we refer to it as as that. Well, I'm not talking about the subconscious mind here because that would be shadow awareness. I'm okay. talking about right. the personal, the transpersonal center within each of us. Ah, oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'd call it the Christ Christ mind or Christ consciousness, something like that. So the connection to Christ consciousness is essential to become an elder. Why? Because, you know, for most of our lives we're living in our egos. Our our ego's agenda is trying to control things. And as we age, we want to let that go and allow it to recede and allow something larger to guide us. So we can call that Christ consciousness or whatever fits for you. And that's, and so that's one portal. The other portal is shadow awareness, the connection to the subconscious, what I call the unconscious, so that we can really have a sense of um, what is hiding beneath awareness. And in this book, it's really about our fears and images and beliefs about age. You know, like take the term retirement. What is in the shadow about retirement? What do we fear that keeps us running the loop and unable to slow down? What is what is the what are the deepest fears and beliefs there? And then the right. third thing um, is mortality awareness, because again, if we're in denial of death, then we don't get this alchemical shift that can happen when we recognize how little time remains. When we recognize that, you know, the present moment is so precious and we really want to say or do or become what's most important to us in the time we're given. And so those are the three portals that you mentioned. You know, there's a great story in the book um, about, and I can't remember the origin of it now, but basically uh, the, the master is leaving on a journey and he puts his uh, trusted steward or butler or whatever in charge of everything. And the, the butler becomes so uh, used to being in, in charge, you know, that he, he assumes that he's always been in charge and, and that there was no master. And when the master returns, you know, after many years, He's shocked to see this man come back. And, and in fact, he's in denial about it. He won't let go of the power and control. And eventually, of course, um, various things nudge him to, to, remi- to remind him that he's not in charge. And it's, it's a wonderful symbolic story of the ego, um, you know, because we do, you know, assume that we're in charge of our own lives. Right. And, and um, you yeah, how dare somebody come along and, and say that they're in charge, you know, that there's, there's a greater plan here. And part of the big, the biggest part of our spiritual life, it seems to me, is um, is letting go of that control, right? And and uh, as they say in Sufism, you know, annihilation, annihilate that sense of separation, so you come home to the one. But that's a tough one to do, isn't it? To uh, to not, and it's the ego that fears death. Of course, spirit is is fine with it, right? Yes, I love that story. It's a Sufi story about the master and the butler, reversing positions, you know. And that's what happens in our psychology. But, you know, the ego is not bad. We, we grow up and we develop right. an ego. And we need, to, we need that conscious personality to function in society. But as we get into the later stages of life, we don't want it to be in charge anymore because we want to open to something greater. We want to open to spirit. And we want to be guided by something more than our egos. And if right. you don't... Whoops, uh, I yeah. can hear the music, Connie. Uh, let's hold that thought, because I know we're coming to the break. Folks, uh, join us in a couple of minutes. I'm with Connie Zweig, talking about her book, The Inner Work of Age. Join us after these messages from Unity. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. 
we invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with Connie Spide, PhD, and we're talking about her wonderful book, The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul. And this is a book of uh, fascination, actually, because it's it's got a lot of practical information about how to deal with and, and move successfully with this shift as we grow older. Um, but there's also wonderful examples. There's interviews throughout the book with well-known uh, persons in, in various fields of psychology, poetry, um, spirituality. And, and that's, that's wonderful too, because you get insight from, the, from these uh, elders um, in the book. Um, plus every chapter ends with uh, some, some uh, exercises to work uh, and to question and to ask uh, things uh, to, to deepen your awareness of where you are in these various areas. And a lot of groundwork is covered be, uh, all the way from, uh, you know, identifying what the age is, and, and then working creatively to, to repair uh, and to recreate yourself, uh, to review, uh, repair and recreate so you can live a, a very successful life. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that I, I think I can use. I think I'm fairly aware, um, you know, but then there's always new stuff to do and, and to be uh, to deepen your awareness. So, so this is so there's a lot in here to do that. Um, we talk, you talked a little bit about repairing, right? Uh, emotional, um, spiritual repairing, uh, releasing the past, um, our ability to live in the present. And, and that's really all we've got anyway, right, is the present moment. Um, but we spend a lot, of t- a lot of our time hassling and worrying about what's going to happen in the future or fretting about what we did or didn't do in the past. And the one word you, you use that I like, it says... Um, uh, when we're talking about our life review, our lived and unlived lives. And I think that's that unlived life that, that haunts us sometimes, you know. If only I'd done that, you know. How come I wasn't successful there? Why did I do this, you know? The, 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 it's the crawling under the carpet moment where you feel like, oh, my God, I was so stupid. Uh, it, it, those unlived things are tough, aren't they? Well, that. Such a good point. You know, um, Carl Jung, who coined the term shadow, also coined the term unlived life. And his, the point that he was making is that whatever doesn't get expressed or lived out gets buried in the shadow and remains unlived. And so there's this whole other lifetime of, of what if the road not taken that's going along in the shadow during our lifespan. And so what I'm suggesting is that because of our extended longevity, we can actually have the opportunity now to reclaim some of those unlived feelings, experiences, dreams from the shadow and live them out now. So let's use creativity as an example. Um, Many people have creative gifts and talents, could be musical or artistic, um, and they get buried in the shadow either early on because their parents shame them, disapprove, don't value these things, or later because they have to work hard to sort of do their empire building and support a family and build a business and all that. And so the creative aspirations get buried and unlived. And what I'm suggesting is that 
as we do a life review, we look for what was sacrificed, which dreams, which talents, which innate um, sensibilities in us were buried. And what can we kind of unearth now and live out? So, for example, I have a friend who's 73 who spent his life writing nonfiction books to earn a living, and he's always wanted to write a novel. And it's a very specific story he's always wanted to tell. And he said to me when I was writing this book, now's my time because if I don't write that novel, I'm going to die with regret. And I think it's important for each of us to ask ourselves, what is it that we need to do or say in order not to die with regret? So if it's a creative project, you know, that's been unexpressed, you can learn to play an instrument now. You can learn to paint now. And as I was researching this, I couldn't believe, I was so surprised when I discovered how many famous composers, painters, sculptors, architects actually got started in their 60s, 70s, 80s, novelists, And so the sort of ageist notion that we can only have um, a great, write a great novel or paint a great masterpiece before midlife, and if we haven't done it by then, it's not going to happen, is a lie. It's, It's a way that ageism has crept into our creativity mythology. And many, many people now are, um, are proving that falsity, you know, are proving that that's no longer true and joining orchestras and um, doing sculpture and painting great paintings. My literary agent, actually, after she was a successful businesswoman for many years, she retired and she paints full-time and loves it. So that's what the unlived life is about, and that's what reclaiming it is about. And there are many ways besides creativity, there are other ways we can do that as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You know, there seems to be a lot of people who blossom young, you know, that do their greatest work in in their late teens and 20s, you know, and then don't do much after that. And then there's another group that sort of blossom after they reach their 60s. And and, um, I know some continue to be, you know, like Bob Dylan or somebody that continue to to write wonderful songs all through their lives uh, or write beautiful novels or whatever it is. But there are there are many that sort of burn out and you you never hear from them. Well, they've already laid down a great body of work, so that's okay. But then there's all these wonderful late bloomers, supposedly, you know, that uh, do do incredible work as well. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a very encouraging, encouraging thing. you mentioned going from hero to elf, uh, you know, the hero is the one that takes charge, that does all these things, etc. cetera, uh, looking at those heroic archetypes that Joseph Campbell talked about. Um, but the elder is powerful too, right? And, and not always, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, indigenous societies really uplift their elders. Um, our Western societies don't necessarily do that, though there, there are many people who are, uh, seen as elders in our society uh, in all fields. Um, but what what are the main characteristics, do you think, of being an elder? You know, I like to think of Joseph Campbell's model of the hero's journey. Um, when the hero goes through this long life of ordeals and challenges, meeting the shadow, overcoming his... Um, adversaries or her adversaries, and returning to the ordinary world with a boon. That's what the story says. She or he returns with a boon. And I like to think of that as the wisdom of the elder. Because after our long lives, we've learned a lot. And if we take the time to self-reflect and harvest, you know, gather the harvest of our lives, we can see how much wisdom we have to share 
and to transmit to other generations. So there are many, many traits of an elder. Um, and, you know, there's a long chapter about this. Um, right. There are, the, there are the three portals that you mentioned, you know, for me. An, an, an elder has shadow awareness, connection to spirit, and uh, mortality awareness. An elder also um, feels gratitude for the way her life unfolded, you know, rather than regret. Uh, an elder, as you said, remains open rather than closed and bitter. You know, an elder um, has a natural generosity and wants to share um, her gift or his talents or information or wisdom with the world, which is so in need of that now. Um, some elders are more introverted, and they're more focused on spiritual awakening and, you know, doing practices. And so there are many spiritual practices in the book in order to help you find one that fits who you are now. And other elders are more extroverted, and they want to be engaged with other people and with social causes. And so, you know, those elders are in service, in fact, you know, this month, Jane Fonda, who's 83 now, and Bill McKibben, who started 350.org, launched a new organization for elders to engage in the climate crisis. It's called the Third Act. And there are many opportunities like this to be of service now and to find community that way so that we're less isolated and that we feel less powerless. So, yeah, you and you, know, you have a chapter. Yeah, go ahead. You, you go. I was going to say you have a chapter on this, right, on elder activism and the call to serve, right, um, to do something larger than ourselves. And I think a, a, a person who is an elder, you know, has, has moved a little bit beyond their own self-concern and they have a, a selflessness uh, and, and understand that we're all in this together, right? And so, therefore, they want to serve in some way, either in their own spiritual practice or actually doing, you know, activism and, and something that is meaningful in, in the world. And they can, they can bring a lot of wisdom because, because of that uh, life experience that, that they have. And it's also very nurturing for them, I think. And people who have purpose or meaning, right, as Victor Frankl said, tend to live longer, tend, tend to have more uh, self-realized lives and more actualized lives than those people that don't see that, you know, they have a purpose. That's right. And so as elders, we want to link our inner work to our outer work. In other words, many of us, like me, were activists in our 20s, you know, and we were acting out of a lot of our own psychological issues, unresolved family stuff. And we had a lot of projection, and we did a lot of enemy-making, right? As elders, we're not going to engage in the same way. We're going to engage more out of compassion than anger. We're not going to be so, such black-and-white thinkers, right-and-wrong makers, you know? We're going to do this from an elder state of mind, a different quality of awareness by linking our inner work, our inner emotional and spiritual work to our service. And that in that way, our service becomes a practice. You know, the term karma yoga. You know, our service can be a spiritual practice in itself. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned in the book that... Uh... It, or you, you often ask the people that you're interviewing in the book, you know, what, what is their own particular spiritual practice? And, um, you know, some of them have a very uh, rich uh, life in that regard. Um, I, 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 I was taken by um, Rabbi uh, Rami Shapiro's uh, 
description, you know, of, of how he moved from various levels of understanding and and got inspiration from uh, Ramana Maharshi and and, uh, and other great sages and, and 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 as well as Jewish sages, and and was very open to to a lot of traditions. So my question for you is, um, what what is your particular spiritual practice? I know you've been involved in a lot of uh, spiritual uh, practices throughout your life, including transcendental meditation. But what what is your practice right now at your age? Well, you know, I felt so honored to interview some of these people. I interviewed Father Thomas Keating, who brought Centering Prayer into the world. And it, he was 94 or 95. He had this incredible conversation about his spiritual experience. And then he passed just several months later. And I was left with this feeling of such deep gratitude that, you know, to have had that conversation. I interviewed right. Ken, Ken Wilber, the integral philosopher, and Krishna Das, who's the Kirtan chanting leader, um, and Anna Douglas, who started Spirit Rock Buddhist Meditation Center. So many people who shared their practices with me and how their practices are linked to their aging process. So for me, you know, I have two lineages. I have the lineage of Vedanta from India. Um, I started TM at age 19, but I left that a few years later and um, studied with other teachers and remained connected to Vedanta, which is part of the Hindu tradition, and continue to do those practices today. My other lineage is depth psychology and Carl Jung because I'm so grounded in my doctorate training and, you know, worked with patients for 30 years in clinical practice. And so I'm oriented to the unconscious, the shadow. And so the book reflects both that psychological orientation and a spiritual orientation that's very kind of interfaith and eclectic. And that's why, you know, I interviewed teachers from just about every different spiritual tradition. I'd say I don't, there's no Sufi teacher there, unfortunately, but there's just about everything else. So, um, so yeah, so I continue those practices to this day. Um, and, um, my relation, I would say my relationship to them has changed um, because my ego is no longer in charge, you know? And so I'm not so grasping and so attached and so, but, but you know, for more than 50 years, I've spent an hour every day in meditation. So it's, I'm deeply rooted in it. Right. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I thought our listeners would like to, to hear your own, you know, personal uh, practice there. And that, that is definitely a great dedication, isn't it, to do it for that, that period of time. It's wonderful. So right. as we draw the, uh, the, the, in the hour to an end, I, I don't want to miss anything that you feel that was important that, to share. So what, what haven't we talked about that you think is very important? Well, you know, the subtitle of the book is Shifting from Role to Soul. And that seems to be intuitively resonating with people. The shift is that the language comes from Ramdas. I borrowed the phrase roll to soul from Ramdas because I felt that it fit so perfectly what I was trying to communicate. That there is this possibility to shift our identity from doing, from achievement, success, and image to our essential spiritual nature, to Christ consciousness, to spirit, to soul, to pure awareness, whatever we call it, emptiness. I don't, I don't get hung up in the language. It's our essential nature beyond our doing. And as long as we continue to identify with our doing, I call it the doer inside of us, or the driver, 
the habitual part of us that um, needs to produce and achieve, then we won't slow down to do spiritual practice. And I'm not suggesting that we stop doing. I'm not saying that we have to slow down to not do. I'm suggesting that we begin to prioritize spirituality as all of the mystical traditions teach. That's the purpose and meaning of this stage of life. And then as we shift from role to soul, as we shift our identification from doing to being or spirit or um, essence, then we do with a different level of consciousness, with a different quality of mind. Then our doing is different. Sometimes I called it the elder state of mind. And, you know, there's a, there's a full chapter on stages of awareness and the evolution of consciousness. So it's not just one stage that I'm talking about here, but the role to soul is an initial shift in identity that can liberate us, can free us, to be truly authentic, to drop our masks, to drop our responsibilities, um, to drop our habitual ways of doing things, and really move into a deeper, um, more spiritual sense of who we are. Yes, good. You know, it's interesting to me that many paths talk about uh, naturalness. You know, certainly uh, Taoism talks about just being natural. Um, and Dzogchen in, um, in Tibetan Buddhism you know, is, is often translated as great natural perfection. Um, and of course, Nizaga Maharaj, uh, his very name means the natural way, you know, the just the, the way of being yourself, right? Being comfortable in your own skin. And I love that because it's not difficult. You know, sometimes we make spirituality so difficult that it's some kind of thing that I have to attain with struggle and whatnot. And, and certainly there's hard work and dedication, as you already mentioned. But uh, I think it's a natural thing. When you discover who you are in truth, you realize, oh, this is just who I've always been. You know, this is this is my natural inheritance, right? The Christ spirit is not something um, abstruse to obtain, you know, after I've done all this work. But it's simply who I've been all this time. Yes, and it's been covered over with masks and roles and ego stuff. And mm-hmm. as those away, you know, as those fall away and we release them and let them go, then we become who we really are. Yeah, it's taken off the hides, as they say, I think, in Sufism and, you know, all these masks, like you said, the personas that we have and, and all the various roles and the moving into that soulful soulful place yeah which you can do at any age of course but you get this golden opportunity when when, when you know you're you don't have no longer have to work and struggle for the legal tender as uh, jackson brown said you know we're we're then able to um you know devote more more time I, i've been retired now for three and a half years and uh, loving it I'm, i guess i'm not exactly retired because i'm still writing and doing my radio show or whatnot but uh, it's been a time to really reflect and to do the things that I want to do. I've just written the book myself, and and uh, uh-huh. that's exciting. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a good, definitely a golden opportunity. The final thing that you write in the, is an epilogue is a legacy letter to the grandchildren. It's a wonderful document, and um, you know, I'm thinking that's that would be a lovely thing to do for my grandchildren. Um, and it, and it's of course for all, for all grandchildren, right? I don't know if this is particular to your own, but uh, it can be for all of us. Yeah, and it's a lovely thing because it's like the elder speaking, right? Is it something that we would give to them after after we pass on? Do you think that this is this is something from from grandma that is a a reflection of who she deeply is and her wishes for for you as grandchildren? Well, thank you for bringing that up for me. It was for my grandkids, but it was also for all grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was my way of sort of speaking to future generations. And in our family, the parents of the grandchildren read it to them. 
there are different ways of um, leaving a legacy for your family or for the larger society. Some people are using video now, you know, and yeah. taping, taping a memoir, taping their life story, um, or speaking to the future, as I did there. Um, some people are writing, you know. Some people are creating something that is a legacy that, that can be left behind. And, you know, what's important is to recognize that's what this time is for. It's, it's not for continuing to push ourselves and to look young and to make more money if we have enough money, you know, and to continue to build the empire. It's for contemplation. And part of that includes contemplation of future generations. I love it. You know, I love it. I'm a climate activist for a long time. And, you know, so this weekend um, with Glasgow is really, really important to me. And I have a lot of fear for my grandkids about what's happening. Of course, happening. absolutely. So how do we speak to future generations about these concerns? How do we share, you know? And that's, a, that's, a whole nother, that's a whole nother show. Unfortunately, we're at the end of the show. Let, let me tell okay. people about next week's show, and then we'll come back with our final thoughts. Uh, next week, Wendy, my wife Wendy, joins me, and I'm going to be talking, actually, about my new book. It's called Unity and World Religions. It's coming out, published by Unity Books in December. Um, it takes a good look at different religions and their connection to the five unity principles. Hope you enjoy it. But right now, I see we're at the end of the show. Oh, thank you so much, Connie, for being with us. What a wonderful show. Thank you for having me. Much love. Much love to you. Much love to everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with Positive Prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on Positive Prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open Positive Prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.